Good morning, or uh, whatever time of day it is you're uh, listening to this. It's morning for me, and it's an absolutely beautiful morning. It's uh, not quite 10 a.m. on uh, Tuesday, May 12th, and I'm here in uh, Thompson Park. You can hear the squeaking of one of the exercise machines as a lady who's been working at it since I arrived here. Uh, it's just a little, you know, context, background noise, which I like. I was sitting outside. It's like a beautiful fall day. You know, there's a, a crispness. There was a bit of a storm last night, but now the air feels clean and uh, fresh, a little cool. But the wind is too strong, and uh, this microphone picks up all the noise. So I'm sitting in the front seat of my car, staring out at this beautiful expanse of park. It really is a lovely place. Um, I've got stuff I'm going to uh, talk about today uh, with regards to the past, I guess. I brought another object along. I'm holding it in my hand now, and uh, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, I wanted to say I went to church again Sunday, and um, I always, always, always enjoy the services, and I'm always surprised at how the words, the, the lyrics in the songs we might sing or the, the prayers, the, the spoken word, how it resonates with me. Um, now, I know there's a few people who think, oh, my God, you know, here's another guy's found religion. And I just wish I could make it clear, no, it's not like that. This church, West Hill United... Uh, under the leadership of uh, Greta Vosper, is very, very unique. This is a pastor who's come out and said to her congregation that uh, I'm an atheist. There, there are other more sophisticated ways of saying that, and I, I can't remember something to do with a, a realist and so on, but I, I can't dig up the words. It's in her book, Amen, which I have with me here. Um... And she's being criticized by that from a number of people, perhaps within the United Church. I won't go into the politics or anything else here, but it's just, it's a very brave stance. And she's under heavy fire for it. And what's wonderful is the congregation is very much in support and ready to stand up and defend her rights and, and say she's doing a fine job. And that, that's quite amazing. I mean, and this is why I say, okay, it is under the umbrella of the United Church. But it's very unique in that she is one of the few who has the courage to come out and talk about how her beliefs have changed since she was a divinity student and how they've grown and evolved. And I'm just so pleased to say the viewpoints of this church, the outlook, the beliefs fit perfectly with me. So please, please, please don't make generalizations and, and think, oh, Ken found a church. Isn't that nice? He's doing just what his parents did and his brother and sister do. No, my parents, my brother, my sister would not probably approve. Oh, my sister might. She's a little more flexible. But uh, anyway, I, I mean, I don't have to defend myself, but I think it's a very brave stance. And especially when you you read about what's going on in Bangladesh, there's been a few bloggers who've come out who've talked about the intolerance of certain religions and belief systems and how their people should be free to express their mind and, and develop their thinking. And I guess three, maybe four of them 
have in the past few years been hacked to death by mobs. Hacked to death. This is people with machetes. Wait for them, find them, accuse them as blasphemy, and kill them with machetes. Now, I, I won't say it, I won't swear, I won't overreact the way I have done in the past on the Dixon Jane's podcast, but it fills me with with rage, with anger, with frustration, with despair. And I think one of the reasons Greta has come out and taken the stance she has is, is in support of the number of people who are being killed for their beliefs. To say, hey, stand up and say what you really believe in. And here we are, right here in Canada. People overreacting and wanting to pull the plug on her and maybe get her out of the church and so on. So I, I think that's worthy of note and that, that just makes my conviction to to stay and to join and to support all that much stronger. Um, I just want to end with, with one thing. There, there are many little things that pe- people are free to speak up. The congregation's asked, is there something they want to share? Something they're worried about, like sad news? And uh, the the rest of the congregation responds in this, our time of need, you know. Uh, in this, our time of joy, if it's a happy occasion, something along those lines. But there's another phrase which I really like applying to this church and, and the belief system. It is that we should be grounded in life, guided by love, and growing in wisdom. Grounded in life, guided by love, growing in wisdom. Did I say that right? Grounded in life. Just being realistic. Guided by love, having some compassion and caring, and growing in wisdom, trying to understand more and develop as, as individuals, as people. To get to a, you know, I use the word higher, maybe that's not the right word, but to to know more, to, to understand things at a, a more profound level. And I love that. So, okay, we're going to park West Hill United for a while, but I, I do encourage if there are friends of mine, if anybody lives in Toronto, visit it, westhill.net. It's all one word, W-E-S-T-H-I-L dot net, and read a little bit about what's going on there. And uh, come and visit if you can. Okay, so, moving on from there. By the way, our last person, Greta, was away. She was speaking at the American Humanist Conference in Colorado, which I think is a wonderful thing. And in her place, a man came who, formerly a a government employee, provincial government employee, talking about environmentalism and what we can do to be better citizens. And it, it wasn't one of these sermons of nagging people. It was very... Uh, him pulling on the experiences he's had, like you don't go from zero to a hundred in, in one movement, gradually pull people along. But what else can you do to recycle? For example, all your charging devices at home, as long as they're plugged in, they're pulling a current. And maybe you could unplug those. And just little things about recycling and so on. Instead of all the recycling, maybe just buying less to start with or buying used. Um, things things like that, which is worth hearing, and, and the kind of thing you want to hear, or I'd want to hear, out of church. Okay, my goodness, I did not mean to take up that much time, but it is important. 
Back to me. I'm holding my knife. <laughs> holding in my hand a little knife, and I'm just opening it now. It's just beautiful. It's black with uh, white edges, two little stars on it. And I had forgotten what was actually written on it, and I realized, wow, this is a quality knife. It's Inox, I-N-O-X, which is a brand of, of knife. Uh, and Albacete, A-L-B-A-C-E-T-E, which is a place in Spain. Of course, Spain is where I bought the knife. And it says Gomez, and there's a beautiful little logo. So it's, it's a quality knife. It's got a pedigree. Um, I bought it very, very cheaply as a hash knife. So I've always called this my hash knife. Now, when I look at the end, I haven't cleaned it. And I know if this went into a lab, if the police took it and ran it under a microscope or gave it to uh, some of those people who do these things, uh, they would find hashish residue. That looks like what's still there. It's brown. I should have cleaned it, but um, it gives <laughs> gives it a touch more authenticity. So I'm going to talk about my hash knife a little bit. Now, if you're listening to this podcast um, on an MP3 player... You may be able to see the photo embedded because I embed the photo with the um, with the audio. And if you visit, if you don't do that, but you just visit the uh, blogspot dot babysally talks, uh, you will find that image as well. Um, I went. I have a little special little box in a drawer in my bar in my basement. A little box where I keep my real special treasures, like a father's treasures, you know. Um, in fact, that's where I used to keep my Swiss blade, switch blade knife, which I was going to be what I was going to talk about, but it's missing. It's somewhere else. I don't know where. So instead, I thought, well, why not bring out the hash knife and talk about that a little? So I took a photo, and I, I, as I went into the box to pull out the hash knife, I said, oh, 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 wait a minute. There's this beautiful little round leather green pouch, which was a keef pouch, Keef Tabac, and I bought that in Morocco. So the Spain, uh, the knife came from Spain on my way down to Morocco. I got to uh, Morocco, and I bought this little leather pouch. Beautiful little thing, probably in the market somewhere. Uh, in just mint condition now. I mean, it was really well made. Where you're supposed to keep in your, your Keef Tabac. Keef, they would very often mix tobacco and Keef, which was a a milder part of the hashish doesn't get you quite as strong as stoned, but uh, it works. So you could smoke it in a hook or something else. So I have this little leather pouch. And then with that, a little box of matches, those little wax matches from Morocco. There's a picture of a man on a horse on it. You can see that in the picture, too, uh, and some Arabic writing. Now, those date back from 19... I was in Morocco... Ah, spent New Year's in Greece, I think. So it would have been January, February 1970. And uh, so that goes back 1970. What are we looking at? That's 30, 45 years ago. 45 years ago. And one more thing in the picture are some what were called worry beads. And all the hippies were buying worry beads because you'd see people. And those I bought in Greece. So the trip was... Ended up in Greece, 
Uh, and in fact, from Greece, where I bought these things, and I bought the sandals from the bootmaker who made the sandals for the Beatles, you know, that was another thing. And I remember the very first day I put on my brand new leather sandals by the same maker who made the sandals for the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> that would have been 1969, December. I walked through fresh cement. I didn't even notice. I was so proud of my new sandals <laughs> that I would clop, clop into deep into cement. Uh, I don't think they were ever the same after that. <laughs> um, anyway, I still have these treasures in that little box, and, and they're wonderful. It's part of my museum. I've talked before about I was going to do a podcast just on artifacts in the bar, and now it seems that Baby Sally and Baby Sally Talks, or what was the Baby Sally Sunday Sermons, is all morphing into one podcast of... Uh, who knows what, but I, I hope it keeps you entertained to some degree. Now, when I came back from Europe, that trip I made in the fall of 1969, bought a one-way ticket out of, uh, out, of, out of Montreal to Paris for $99 on Air France, where they gave you champagne and cigarettes, and you started off, thought, wow, this is going to be fun. Uh, I came back in the spring of 1970 and uh, resumed my job at the Canadian National Railways working in the uh, in the lumber yard. But I came back with these treasures and it gave me a cool factor. Wow. I, I rejoined the next fall. I was back in university. I'd just taken a year off in the middle. I'd done two years at Sir George Williams University. Had to get out. Had to leave. Needed to change told my parents, I'm going to Europe. My parents said, well, wait, wait till you finish university. And I knew, no, 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 now was the time. I've got to go. I had a friend. The friend uh, was convinced by his parents not to. And, and I'm just so grateful that he listened to his parents while I didn't listen to mine. And once I'd made up my mind, my father was very proud of me and very supportive and typed out all my letters and postcards and shared them with the family. And it was it was... Truly a wonderful experience. I was writing little aerograms, all of which I still have a record of all the letters I wrote from Spain describing my various adventures. I did not write home to tell them about the acid trip I did in Morocco or uh, all the hashish I was smoking there and Keith. Uh, but I shared <laughs> the kind of things you could share with a family back then. Anyway, I have this beautiful, beautiful little knife. And I guess I have the feeling my one of my sons might be interested in having it in the future. I don't know. It's the kind of thing I wouldn't want to be lost. I have one of those beautiful puzzle rings that, you know, everybody, again, part of the hippie trail. You all bought a puzzle ring in Greece as well, one or two. And you learned there was a secret way of doing it. The puzzle was made up of six, eight little rings, eight little, yeah, bars. And there was only one way to weave it back together. And you had to learn that way. And, of course, what you do is you take it off your finger, dangle a little bit, it would all come apart, all hooked together, and you'd pass it to a friend say, here, figure it out. And that was just part of the fun and the joy, sitting around stoned, working on your puzzle ring. Um, but when we were back in Montreal, back again, I'm talking about 1970, the spring into the fall of 1970, we didn't smoke marijuana, we just had hashish, and there, that was the time. I may have mentioned this before. In fact, I think I did on sort of a part of a coming out show. I had at one point four ounces of 
hashish, good hashish, four different ounces. I'm not talking about a quarter pound. I'm talking about four unique ounces, a blonde leb, a red leb, a Turkish, and I guess the last was um, Afghani. And I, I tell you that because this was not something you went online or went into the store and bought. This is not something that was advertised on television. This is not something your parents turned you on to. This is something you found through the the underground network, through your friends, through people you found, somebody who's got it. So I became not a dealer, but I, I would always have plenty of hash on hand to to sell if somebody needed a dime or a nickel. That was $5 or $10. Uh, or even a quarter ounce. So what, when you bought your hash, you didn't want to be buying nickels and dimes. You, you wanted to buy a nice, you know, weighed quarter ounce. And that would last you a long time because if the hash was good, you took your little, this knife that I'm holding in my hand, and you just sliced off what we call little toke size. And you would all, we all had our own pipes. I used to make pipes out of uh, soapstone. And, of course, gee, I should have had that in the picture, too. My, my pipe that I bought back from Morocco. Yes. Well, maybe that'll be another podcast. Um, you, you had your little pipe, and you just put in a couple of tokes, and you held a match over that, and you just drew away, and you got nice and high. And you put on the Moody Blues or Pink Floyd or the Beatles, Abbey Road, whatever it was you wanted in the background. And you just grooved and maybe you looked at the album cover art, you know, 10cc or something after something else. And you just said, wow, that is so cool. And, of course, our good friend, Reginald, I'll call him the name. Well, I don't have to hide anybody's name. Glenn, my first gay friend who I'm so proud of for uh, being open, being out long before it was, you know, the popular thing to do about the fact that he was gay, introducing us to his boyfriends and, and taking us when we were in, when we eventually left Montreal in 1972 and moved to Vancouver, uh, taking us around to all the, the gay clubs, which is so much fun. I, of course, dated, well, dated is not the right word, had a long-term relationship with uh, Glenn's younger sister. We lived together for quite some time and Anyway, I, I was a character, and I guess I, you heard me on the last podcast saying I missed somebody that called the Scarborough Dude. Scarborough Dude only came up in the uh, spring of uh, January, probably 2005. Yeah, uh, when I was given that name. But when I think back about it, when I think back of the young man who came back from uh, Morocco and Europe... In the spring of 1970, I think I was still the Scarborough dude back then. And, and friends who I was out with last Friday at the Central Cafe said, you've always been the Scarborough dude, and you always will be. So maybe it, it's part of me just having to realign my history, my past, my, my thoughts about myself, the, the image I want to present myself. I'm very proud to talk about being a hash smoker back then. This is not something that, oh my God something naughty I did. This is something, hey, that was part of our life. That's what bonded the friendships. We'd go to Glenn's place, and he had a water pipe, and we'd sit around the basement, and I'd usually be the one who'd bring out the the hash, and this very hash knife that I'm holding in my hand and 
cut off the little pieces, just slice away a you know, hard little block there and put it on top and we'd take turns drawing on that and next thing you're into a giggling fit because Rod is doing his faces and you look at Rod and as you looked, Rod's face would change and the more we laughed and engaged and interacted with Rod's changing face, the crazier the room got. And then, and then Glenn would do something like put on his grandmother's hat from the 1930s or something and then would just blow us away. Oh my God. Because Glenn was a showman. Glenn was an entertainer. And Glenn was the one who controlled the music and turned all of us on to all this great stuff. Careful with that Axe Eugene by Pink Floyd and Amagama and all this other music. And you went to Glenn's and Glenn was our I guess our pastor in those days, you know, he was the one who was getting us all excited and and turned on and and just having fun. And we'd be listening to a track. Glenn would, we had a record player and he'd, he'd just drop that needle into the groove just perfectly. And we'd be hearing a song and we're all going, oh, wow, this is so good. And Glenn wouldn't know what he was going to play next. And it was all up to Glenn. There couldn't be a gap. There couldn't be, oh, wait, oh, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. Glenn would just suddenly, his face would light up and he'd go, ooh, ooh, I got it. And you just knew you were just going to believe in Glenn. Yeah, he's got it. It's going to be perfect. And he'd just drop the needle into the groove. And it was perfect. And we'd all just burst into smiles. And everybody was childishly, childlike in a state of happiness and joy. And this was all on the QT down in his basement or in my basement, which I'd fixed up with dark lights and, oh, the joy of the early 1970s. I mean, I started smoking weed, I guess, first time hashish in 1967 in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. And uh, to this day, of course, I'm still... A smoker. Now I've gone high tech. I've got a vaporizer, a very small one that I can put in a little bit of weed. I wish I had hash, but I don't. A little bit of weed and just have a couple of draws of the vapor, and I'm feeling very, very nice in a very, very beautiful, groovy state of mind. So maybe I've gone so far. I don't know if I just wanted to share that with you. I share something, the kind of things that get lost, like times get lost, memories get lost, but. This was really an era, that time of of people tuning in and turning on. I I guess to some degree we dropped out. I'm quoting Timothy Leary here, of course. But we we all got our education. We all drew the line like we knew, hey, man, nobody in our group does needles. Nobody puts a needle in their arm. Like, that's just not cool. And if you're going to take a cap or a tab... You kind of hope you know where it's coming from. Now, we didn't always do that, and there were times when we took, uh, especially I talk about the Barstool Buddha, a good friend Harold, who I traveled the uh, the southwest, uh, southwest with last summer. Wonderful journey. Thank you again, Harold. Um, you know, we, we took some questionable drugs uh, and had adventures... And maybe that's just all that this is about. Adventures from the past, but adventures in in 
You see, the, what we were fighting against was Nancy Reagan, who was saying, just say no. And, and the mindset that all drugs are bad and the mindset that you lock up people who take drugs, they are bad, they are evil. And, and this is the worst, the kind of mindset that we, we used to blame on communist Russia or, or China of just this government control over right thinking. And, and here we are guilty of the scene, but fortunately there was such a large movement of hippies, all of whom have to in turn thank the Beats from the 1950s, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, uh, and, and that movement of pushing back, and those people have to thank people like Henry Miller and Bohemians and other people who questioned the status quo, questioned authority, and I guess we're coming kind of full circle here because I've just talked about Greta Vosper, who's questioning the status quo and, and raising some eyebrows and disturbing a few people, and, and maybe that's why I feel so comfortable in this church that it's, it's, it's moving in a positive direction. It's about doing good and caring about people, but in not necessarily a traditional fashion, and that's very much what we did. So I guess I've said enough that I can see I've probably gone on for... 25 minutes. I want to end with a song as I did last time, and uh, maybe this song will reflect the um, the kind of uh, experience we were having back then. I think this song might be one of those hippy-dippy songs that uh, we enjoyed so much when we were high on, on hashish. So, that takes care of it. I don't know what I'll, I'll call this one. Maybe it'll just call it hashish. I was going to call it my hash knife. But it's about more than that. The hash knife is just representative of that time. And, and I, I feel, to me, I'm, this, this is going to sound insane, but I feel that my collection in my bar is a collection of an era of times. I talked about my baseball mitt in a previous episode. And here is, is my hash knife, which is a different part of me, but it's a different era, too. We've gone from 1959... To 1969, and that's what Dixon James was about, that change. That's what Baby Sally was about. What happened to Baby Sally? Well, she got turned on, you know. The war in Vietnam came up, and people started questioning their government and saying, hey, this can't be right. And this thing blew through, and the Beatles blew the doors wide open with their, hey, follow us. These were our gurus, not Richard Nixon, the president. Oh, my God. He's the enemy. The establishment is the enemy. Dow Chemicals is the enemy. So there's an awful lot going on, and I feel that little bar that I have and all the treasures <laughs> sitting there are of some value. And I would like to sometime get a value. I'd love to sell my book collection for a flat $10,000 to somebody who can appreciate. Hey, there's an original paperback of On the Road here from sometime or, or uh, all these other wonderful books my Henry Miller connection my collection my Timothy Leary collection my Beat collection my Beat library my Beatles library there is so much there so much value I would just hate to see it lost were I to die from a heart attack and suddenly this is just boxed off and sent up to the Sally Am so please some listener out there rescue my library rescue my bar artifacts okay Please, in case, in case 
my dear wife doesn't know what to do. I know my 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 elder son, who's now in Australia, he'll know, but. It's like when I was in Europe traveling and my parents moved out of their house in Lachine, my dad threw away, probably rightfully so from his perspective, my entire Playboy collection. And that dated back from 1965. Those were some classics there. And, and it's a shame that that got lost. But hey, he did save my car collection, my car and driver, my road and track. I still have all those buried in the basement bar. So uh, all is not lost. Oh, my God. Sorry. Over time. But uh, you can tell how excited I am and uh, how good I feel about this. And I hope you've enjoyed, well, touching, listening in on some of these memories with me. I almost said Scarborough Dude signing out. No. Close. 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 It's, it is Ken. But uh, I guess the Scarborough Dude is, is, is deep within me. Bye for now, and uh, I'll get back to you next week. Show your friends that you and me 
belong to the same world Turned on to the same 